Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is the Politically Speaking Hour on St. Louis on the Air. From St. Louis Public Radio, I'm Jason Rosenbaum. I'm Elaine Cha. Unless you're actively avoiding it, news about politics and the 2024 presidential race is just about everywhere. What seems less prevalent, and missing even, is discussion about how and where many of us learn about government. For some of us, it was schoolhouse rock. You sure got to climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. Well, I wonder who that sad little scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a But for the most part, it was through civics lessons at school. So what do Missouri students K-12 learn in their social studies classes? Is it as seemingly simple as meeting state standards on topics or themes? Today's polarized political climate is no mystery, but does it affect how civics gets taught? And what implications does that have for civic participation? Here to talk with us about civics education, we have three guests with experience working in the classroom and with fellow teachers. First, we have Robert Good, Vice President of the Missouri Council for History Education and Education Coordinator for the National Council for History and Education. Rob is a retired teacher who taught at Ledoux High School for 26 years. Welcome. Thank you. We also have Chebong Nam, Assistant Professor of Social Studies Education at University of Missouri, St. Louis. She is also an Educating for American Democracy grantee working with and in the school district of University City. Welcome to you. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Lynette Early, President of Missouri Council for Social Studies and a Social Studies teacher at Nifer Middle School in Kirkwood. Welcome to you all. And thank you all for being here today. Let's start with something very basic, which is what is civics? Lynette, how do you explain that to your students? Um, so I teach middle school, and I would say for middle school students, the way we look at civics is basically an understanding of the early formation of America and how things like the Constitution and the Bill of Rights came to be. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of explaining that to students because those are pretty broad concepts and difficult for them to understand. Mm-hmm. Tambong, when you are working with elementary school students, does your definition of civics, uh, does it change or is it somehow different from what Lynette has shared? Uh, At this moment, I'm actually teaching pre-service teachers and for elementary, I do not directly work with um, elementary school students, but for me, the general definition of a civics is a subject helping uh, students become authentic, informed, and engage civic participants um, in a healthy constitutional democracy. Mm-hmm. For that, students should learn a knowledge of uh, government and history and practice participation skills and also cultivate a democratic uh, dispositions. Mm-hmm. I know this is like an abstract term, but <laughs> right, right. by nature of my job, uh, I have to have this kind of um, definition. Okay, and working with teachers mm-hmm. is certainly something that is part of the, the scope of the conversation. Yes, yes. Yeah. Rob, when students came to you in high school, did they come equipped with all of the knowledge that they should have uh, as described 
by Lynette and by Chebong? Yeah, I think, you know, students come with some understanding of government, their role, um, the idea of decision making. It's just not fully developed. And part of our job is to cultivate that and to think about civics as engaging students in working for the public good. Mm-hmm. And, and that really is, and they've been doing that since kindergarten. You know, the first lesson is how do we make roles together? How do we develop together? And so civics is, is a process mm-hmm. that students do. It's not just something in a textbook that they learn. Okay. It's the process part. Emphasize that. We want to invite you to the conversation. What do you remember from your classes about civics and American government? Or did you learn from sources outside the classroom? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can also send us an email at talk at stlpr.org. So Missouri standards say that students need to learn about these things. Rob, can you talk with us about what those standards are for each level of schooling, so elementary, middle, and high school? Sure. So from kindergarten through fifth grade, um, there are social studies, um, government contents, and civic standards embedded in a content that starts with sort of the classroom and then is expanding cities. Third grade is Missouri. Fourth grade is the United States. Um, up through 1877, fifth grade is beyond. So in kindergarten, they may be talking, as I said earlier, about how do we make rules together. In fourth grade, they may be beginning to look at the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution and how were those rules made. And in fifth grade, they may be expanding that and saying, well, how are those, how are civic questions being answered contemporary? Um, and then in middle school, there's not as much, although there is U.S. history, and then there is a required U.S. government class in um, uh, secondary, in high school. Mm-hmm. Lynette, in your teaching of middle school students and these standards, which of them do they seem the most prepared to talk about um, or to, to learn about, and which ones are, are less so? I would say for middle school students, um, in general, they seem to have a pretty good grasp of the three branches of government. They sort of know about the president as being in charge of the executive branch. So they kind of have a good understanding of the way checks and balances in the three branches work at the federal level. Um, I would say the trick is to make them see that at the (laughs) state and local level. Mm -hmm. I would say the other um, area that kind of befuddles them is looking at um, the debate that was surrounding the writing of the Constitution and looking at like the Federalist Papers. Um, Students get I think students really feel like the Constitution was a done deal and there was no debate and everyone was on board with it. So when they look at the Federalist Papers, they're often confused that anyone from that time period would have criticism for this document. Mm-hmm. And Tembong, is part of maybe the, the dynamic that uh, or the phenomenon that Lynette is describing about uh, kids coming into middle school thinking that these were these documents and like they're all done deals is that because of the way that like elementary school students are approached and how they are like fed information? I think that yes and no. So I want to approach this issue. I want to start by like authentic participant. So um, okay, probably the first things that students are learning are from civics or history related classes is about three branches of government. I'm not saying that this is wrong. 
that's absolutely important. We need to teach the knowledge of government. But the thing is, for me, probably the order might be slightly wrong. So for me, my approach is that the thing that I do in the first kind of the classes about civics is, who are you? What matters to you and why? Mm-hmm. And what value most? Then, like, students are, like, uh, building their self-knowledge and self-reflection on who they are, their mm-hmm. values. Then they progressively kind of develop this thought into sort of bigger thought of government and other uh, levers of power for change. Mm-hmm. So basically swapping the order. Yeah. So the way that civics is typically taught, we're getting a little bit of a, a taste for that now. But the way that it has changed over time is something that I'd, I'd like to to make sure that we talk about. And Rob, you had mentioned that there were some things that have happened over time um, and certain uh, studies and documents that have been issued by um, bodies that, that are looking at education, the state of education in the United States. If you could kind of talk about that. Yeah, we kind of go through waves of let's just teach the basics, let's teach the facts, and then let's engage students in active learning. And there tends to be, for instance, in the 20s, there was this progressive education movement, and let's, uh, John Dewey, students should be engaged in, in working collectively. The similar things happened in the 60s. And then you have moments of retrenchment where it's like, well, that's not exactly what we want to do. We just want to teach the facts. So, so the current the current environment that we find ourselves in is part of a ongoing process of, of well, should we allow students to be engaged in, in, in acting? Mm-hmm. As far as the way knowledge has been tested over mm. time, mm-hmm. how has that happened? Lynette, with your students, what does that look like? Um, the testing, the application, and does it work? I would say for middle school students, government and understanding civics is much more challenging for that age group. They have not really participated or engaged with government at all. They've never had like a part-time job or gotten, you know, a W-2 form. So they really don't have a very good understanding of government or the role that everyday people play in government. They do understand the roles the Supreme Court or the president plays in government, but they don't understand that, you know, everybody in a country plays a role in the success or failures of government. So in terms of testing, um, they can kind of just learn rote information Mm -hmm. at that age. And that's sort of um, what the standard is. There has been, as Rob was saying, this push and pull. And I think we're kind of in the middle of it right now between should it just be rote information and students are basically learning dates and, you know, important events. Or should students actively participate and become better engaged and more familiar with their government, with their Mm -hmm. local government, with the state government, those sorts of things? Um, And it sort of depends on what district you're in in Missouri as if this is happening or not. Certain districts have really leaned into making sure students can do some sort of engagement activity where they might write, you know, their local congressman or something to that nature. And other districts really want to stick to just we're sticking to facts, you're going to learn facts, and we don't want to indoctrinate anyone with a political point of view. Mm -hmm. So we will just stick to facts. And if you want to engage in government, you can do it on your own time. Okay. And Rob, you had mentioned that there are some restrictions around that, right? Um, About uh, activation and 
what students can do with the knowledge that they get in the classroom? Uh, not so much in Missouri. Other states have limited. Um, so, for instance, Texas passed a law that students could not um, engage in political activity. Mm-hmm. Um, in their, so a teacher could not say, hey, research a project and write your congressperson about that. That was actually explicitly prohibited, and then they changed that law. There have been there is legislation to try and limit um, what is talked about uh, um, controversial topics or divisive concepts and how you define those Mm -hmm. um, becomes a little bit more problematic but but to this point there hasn't been a significant limitation on that in the state of Missouri Mm -hmm. but as Lynette said local practice is local practice yeah and we're talking not just about local, but sort of at the state level, which was part of the reason I thought that this grouping together um, would be an interesting one. And Lynette, you and Chebong both have experience outside the state of Missouri. How do, how do the standards for Missouri compare with those of other states? Chebong? Oh, yeah. So I can talk about briefly about my experience with uh, Massachusetts. So why Massachusetts? That's where I used to live and work for seven years before I moved to Missouri in 2022. So Massachusetts is one of the states uh, that uh, adapted that adapted a sort of like laws and legislation strengthening civic education. So for example, in 2018, Massachusetts enacted a bill requiring a year-long civics curriculum for all grade eight, mm-hmm. and also requiring what is called non-partisan student-led civics for grade eight and high school students. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so the Massachusetts one of states, but I see that increasingly there's more um, effort to strengthen civic education across the nation. Mm-hmm. Actually, Missouri, we have a hope, actually. Um, Missouri, um, I think that the name is Media Literacy and Critical Thinking Act. It's being introduced um, by a bipartisan support, mm-hmm. which is a really good sign. And yeah. I'm re- really looking forward to seeing it um, as a past appeal. Mm-hmm. And Lynette, how about for you? you? You've taught in a couple different states outside Uh, Missouri. Yeah, I have. So um, teaching in Wisconsin is very interesting because Wisconsin really prides itself on having the only socialist um, government ever to be seen in the United States. And that's something that they take pride in, but they also really want to make sure students understand that. So there is a big push in the state of Wisconsin for students at a very young age in fifth grade and then all through middle school to really learn civics and to specifically learn Wisconsin civics and the role that Wisconsin has played um, in various national issues. I will say, comparing that to when I taught in Texas, um, Texas is a state that tests students in eighth grade over U.S. history. So there's like a big push for students to do well on the U.S. history portion of the test that they take. However, the U.S. history um, class that they take does not really address anything about civics, as we would call it. It really sticks to just the founding and kind of the articles of um, confederation and those sorts of like early beginnings of the government. And it really doesn't expand much more um, than beyond the Constitution being created. Mm -hmm. Which could be seen as being depoliticized, but then also it depends on how you're you're looking at it, right? Um, I would say when I taught there, students 
really felt very disengaged from government because that is such an abstract thing for an eighth grader to understand. It also doesn't exist anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is a way to say like we're definitely not um, persuading anyone of a political stripe, but I think for students, it would be a little bit better for them if they did have an opportunity to at least see like what, you know, the continuation of it to mm-hmm. see like, what does that look like today? We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation about civics and civic education. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the way uh, students either connect or do not connect with what they're being taught. Uh, and Chebong, you said that you have an example of something that really did do a good job of that back in Massachusetts. Tell us about that. Uh, yes. So I want to tell a little bit more about what is called the Student-Less Civics Project. So for the Student-Less Civics Project, the first step is actually students are reflecting on themselves and uh, thinking about the issue that they matters to them. We are not asking about uh, what do you care about the government. We ask, what do you care about your family, your friends, and what matters to you? Then students identify topic and their research and they make a, a plan in a doable scope, and also they implement it mm-hmm. and reflect it. Yeah. I know these are simple steps. Um, it has a power. It's a big cut. It starts from I, not from the three branches of government. Mm-hmm. But throughout the process, the students, they could connect who they are, what they really value to the roles of government and reverse of power. And actually, I've seen students are choosing a variety of topics, mental health, like uh, ocean pollutions or gender wage gap and uh, gender equality or diverse curriculum or all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And one really important observation is that the more students have a passion on the topic, which is by their choice, they could have far longer and far more effectively throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And they feel really efficacious about their achievement, regardless um, of the actually achieve the goal that they really wanted to, mm-hmm. but they sort of um, feel very empowered and they are connected to the government and also other levers of power. Mm-hmm. So I really like um, the example and I hope that those examples to be more sort of um, kind of um, shared by other people yeah. in other states as well. Now, Rob, given your years of experience as an educator working with history, government, you did teach high school, um, but you've been able to to understand how civics, as we're talking about it now, is taught at every level, K through 12. I mean, is what Chebong is talking about, is it all that revolutionary? I mean, has has it been happening? And that is certainly not to take away from that project, but it sounds like it's commonsensical. <laughs> 
Well, it is, but you know. So here's the thing. So I was listening to Chabang talk about that that curriculum, and when I taught government, that's how I taught it. Now the standard approach is um, there's a textbook, and the standard uh, government, uh, at least at the high school level, is foundations, constitution, legislative branch, executive branch, judicial branch, public action. I just didn't want to sit there and make it dry, so. I had my students identify issues early on, and so you know, we'll do. I had kids that were for gun control and and gun um, gun rights, you know, and so they have multiple perspectives. But at each stage, they would develop a portfolio. What legislation intersects with this? How does the Constitution intersect with this? And at the end, there was a some sort of government action that they had to do. So it's not revolutionary, but it's. That can get tricky, and a lot of people, and maybe we'll talk about this, get very nervous about stepping outside of the lines. Teachers are worried about how will they be judged by policymakers, um, and particularly in our polarized space. Right. Um, will I have the, the the capacity to do that sort of thing? So it's safer to just do the sort of dry, what Lynette was talking about, learn about the Constitutional Convention. Well, the Constitutional <laughs> Convention is fun, but, you know, rote learning. Mm -hmm. So this idea of making it relevant to students on the individual level, um, it, again, seems like something that is, uh, like, why would that not be happening? But the fact that we are, Rob, as you've mentioned, and we said at the top, we are in a very politicized political environment. I mean, to what extent have civics and politics been conflated? Tembun, can you speak to that? Yeah, so civics, I think that it's a safe word to use. And when it comes, as opposed to politics or political, it's more charged terms and people feel anxious or unsafe about using the terms, especially under the civic education context with the polarized kind of climate. But for me, like it, so my actual concern about the civics and politics distinction is that because of fear and anxiety, we may use the term civic engagement in a too narrow way, which means, so I say just briefly about what civic engagement should mean from mm -hmm. my perspective. Three elements. One, philanthropy or um, civil society association work or charity. Two, activism, advocacy, or um, other kind of um, protests or rallies, which is really important for a political voice. Third, conventional politics, voting, holding office, and um, electoral campaigns. But the thing is, uh, because of the fear and anxieties, people use when people use the term civic engagement, they may only include first two or one of the two, mm -hmm. not including or eliminating uh, conventional politics. For me, this is concerning because this is sort of worsening the political cynicism that is already bad out mm -hmm. there. So for me, for civic education, when it comes to civic engagement, I include all three elements equally important. Mm -hmm. Lena, you are nodding. And I think something that is interesting about middle school students, so middle school is notoriously hard to teach. The turnover with teachers at that level is highest. But I think part of that has to do with sort of this in-between state that middle schoolers are in. I mean, by virtue of middle school, that they don't necessarily feel like they are empowered to to make some change. I mean, why is it that you were nodding as you were hearing Chebong talk about particularly the, the conventional politics or conventional government part? 
I think I was nodding because I always feel like, especially lately, things are very charged politically in the state of Missouri. And I think this push for civic education is sometimes not necessarily a complete civic education. It's this idea that they can learn about the founding fathers and that's totally safe and everyone should know that. And then, you know, if you move into more contentious areas of politics, it suddenly becomes, you know, crickets chirping and nobody really wants to touch that or talk about it. And they aren't considered topics worth, you know, diving into with younger students, especially, but even high school students. Mm-hmm. Rob, in your conversations with educators across the, the state, what are they what are they doing to ensure that students do feel some measure of agency as they're learning about, you know, principles of government and also in this environment in which uh, a teacher could be could be dinged if we're if we're talking about things sort of in in light terms, but you know that their livelihood could also be threatened. You know, I think a lot of teachers, particularly at the secondary level, but also all throughout, are looking at processes of discourse in the classroom. So how do we create a civil discourse? So some of that is community building up front. How do we build a community? We are citizens together. And then how do we engage with each other? And teachers are looking for, there's Socratic seminars or structured academic controversies or deliberative structures with multiple options instead of just two, instead of debates. Those sort of pedagogies are are helping teachers help students engage with each other in these polarized times. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that is happening um, in schools with school government? So I feel like I have not heard very much about that. Chebong, is is that something that's happening in in the U-City district? Are there like student body elections happening at, at elementary and middle school levels in particular? Probably elementary level school governance, and I may not know not enough, but speaking of what just Rob mentioned about having difficult conversation, especially under the polarized context. So what I'm really interested in in the particular era is the question here. um, How can you teach um, honestly about the wrongdoings and past wrongdoings and crimes of the past of this country, but without falling into cynicism and also show appreciations of our founding era mm-hmm. without tipping into glorification. So this is actually not my own question. This is a question coming from what is called the Educating for American Democracy Roadmap, which is a bipartisan, created by bipartisan effort for civic education. So the point here is that when it comes to difficult conversation and even though we may have a different answers for this particular question, we could agree upon the point of this question. Mm-hmm. And I think that we could uh, have honest conversation about this topic instead of um, making some unnecessary, unhelpful binaries. Mm-hmm. As we wrap here, in about 30 to 40 seconds, we did a little bit of a reel yesterday. And in it, we had asked um, sort of tongue-in-cheek about Uh, Missouri's performance at educating students about civics. And we kind of came to this, um, the (laughs) the answer that it's not 
great. So what is the one thing from your perspectives, again, 30 seconds, that would take civics education in Missouri from not great to much better? Rob? Trust the professionalism of your teachers and provide them the support so that they can create environments where their students learn. Mm -hmm. Lynette? Oh my gosh, Rob's answer was so good. I would say um, support teachers when they're trying to teach honest and hard history. Yeah, so for me, like creating high quality uh, social studies curriculum for elementary and social, uh, elementary middle school teachers and also providing uh, accompanying professional development. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for having me. To continue this vital conversation, Elaine is in studio. Elaine, what drew you to foster conversations about civic life? Well, part of it is that it's not something that I've heard a lot about on the the airwaves generally. There are podcasts certainly that are out there that come out of public media organizations that are looking at civics, but it didn't it just did not feel like we were talking about it that much. Um, and as someone who did not grow up in the states, you know, we did a reel together. We did. It, it's um, going to win. It's going to win an Academy Award. It, it most certainly will. Uh, but the part of of that is in joking around about being Canadian. But I did not grow up going to school K through eight in the United States. So part of it is my own curiosity about the way that. Uh, teaching of government and civics, civics is done in schools. And I think that one of the things you really talked about yesterday was this tension between rote instruction, where people learn about civics through facts and memorizing them, and kind of immersive learning where they learn by, you know, writing to congressmen or going to a governmental facility. Mm -hmm. uh, is one better than the other? It, it, it seems like they, they have their ups and downs. Right. Well, I don't know so much that the folks that I was talking with yesterday, they're, they're educators um, who also work with teachers. And I am not sure that we can say that one is better than the other. I think that the one um, information, you know, facts, history, that that does not work as well if it is not put hand in hand with Something that, that students in particular, they may not be old enough to vote, but they're certainly old enough to be engaged in, in civics. And so the two working together, that that just makes more sense. Um, another point that was brought up is that you know, the approach to civics is that it's not about indoctrination or about politics. And to the point, again, about young people writing to uh, a congressperson, it doesn't matter what the political affiliation is of that congressperson. They are still in a position where they need to listen to constituents and young people who cannot vote and like people who are part of um, immigrant populations who are not able to vote because they're not citizens. They're still part of the constituency. So... Earlier this week, I put out a prompt on my Facebook page asking people how they learned about government and civics. And frankly, the response was overwhelming, mm -hmm. nearly 121 responses. And I want to break it down in a couple of ways. 
Um, there were a number of people who talked about how they learned about civics and government through school. But I thought that the more interesting ones were people that learned by working on campaigns or interning at governmental institutions. For example, Taylor Hirth wrote how she learned about civics by interning at the Capitol. I found out more about how it didn't work, how ego-driven it can be, how hard it is to get useful information through, and how inflexible people's minds are, and how imperfect our electeds can be. Mm. Kelly Schultz adds, my internship, school teaches you process, but you can't truly learn about people power and the strategy to gain power and influence people at every single step of the process until you're in the building. That seems to be an endorsement of more immersive learning about civics than the roteness. Mm-hmm. By the way, I love that word rote, but, <laughs> but what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I think that the people that you were speaking with, it really does depend on on who the audience is, the people that you're engaging with. And being able to engage on that level of you know internship at the Capitol and, and um, being able to uh, to be in conversations with people who are deeply involved with the political process, that there's a little bit of, of privilege that's attached to that. And so, um, you know, when it comes to how people do get uh, a better understanding, if you are younger, you're sort of, um, you're subject to whomever you are around. You have a little bit less agency but it, once you get to a point where you can sort of seek out opportunity, I mean, so much of it is being left on the the individual. And I think that does make sense, but at the same time sort of brings up questions of, um, you know, do you need to be involved in that way in order to have um, a, a working understanding and knowledge that is attached to, you know, a person's feeling empowered um, and engaged in civic processes. And in the last minute we have left, we also had people say they learned through watching the news, The Daily Show, Schoolhouse Rock. Steve Englehart even said The Sopranos taught him about politics. <laughs> um, and I-, I learned about it by ingesting a lot of news media. Mm-hmm. How did you end up learning about civics and government? Uh, very shortly, I learned through School- Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, that's at, in my adulthood. I also learned an APS history in high school, which was hard because I was a recent immigrant at the time. I didn't even know what the state capitals were. And then standard government class. So I think there is a, a lot to be said for what people can learn outside the class. And that's what I'm hoping that we can talk more about. I am, My biggest disappointment is I got a four in AP government instead of a five. But, <laughs> you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> Elaine, thank you so much for joining us today. And Elaine, of course, is the host of St. Louis on the Air. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me today. This episode was produced by Elaine Cha. Our audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. 
Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.